from New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be, right here, right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Rabbi Wayne Dosick, and he is a PhD, so we can talk, call him Rabbi Doctor, Doctor Rabbi, I'm not really sure how to address you, but either way, it's one smart book, it's a book you want to get a copy of it, especially if you have children, and your children are asking you the question like mine are, mom is the world ending mom why is everything falling apart and then i look at my 87 year old dad rabbi who lives with me i care for my father and he is like you know the greatest generation he's like we were all unified in world war ii and even though we had divisiveness in the vietnam war he goes i've never seen anything like it and so there is this message this pervasive message out there that the world is falling apart the media headlines doom and gloom divisiveness. Even Rabbi, this week, there was a sit out in in California schools for vaccine versus anti-vaccine. The anti-vaccine families kept their kids home, which meant the vaccinated families sent their kids to school. And now we've got sixth graders knowing who's vaccinated, who's not. Tenth graders going, I'm vaccinated. You're not. I'm smart. You're not. You're a sheep. Divisiveness now, even just with a simple protest against government interference in children's bodies, which is, you know, I'm not taking a point of view on either way, but if we can find divisiveness, Rabbi, we're going to find it. Do you think this is part of human nature? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I answer to Rabbi or doctor, um, but my last name is pronounced Dasik. So just Dasik. So, gotcha. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. The world is falling apart. And in some ways, that's good news. Because the world has to fall apart. Mm-hmm. We are at the precipice, precipice of the birth of a new world. Okay. The world in which we live uh, in the spiritual world is called the 3D world. And we're moving to the 5D world. We're moving to the world of oneness consciousness. And the institutions and organizations and, and um, the way that the world has been constituted up until now is a 3D world. It's a this world. And so you see, and, you see, and you're absolutely right, all the institutions are breaking down. Government, finance, education, medicine, uh, the art, religion. Hollywood, one of our biggest media generators. Look at the fall of Hollywood. All of it. And it has to be. It has to be. Because for the new to come, for the new birthing to come, the old has to die away. And so it's, it's a natural progression. And it's very, very painful. And for those who are comfortable with the long held beliefs they're hanging on with their, with their fingernails. 
Well, and, and let's talk about up, this 3D. You use the term 3D and 5D. Not all of our listeners are going to know what that means. So tell me what a 3D mindset is versus a 5D mindset so that we can have a greater understanding as we go deeper into our conversation. Thank you. The 3D is this world. This world as you see it, as you touch it, as you feel it, as you have lived it all these uh, uh, millennia. It's the world of the, in, in religious terms, it's the world of the fall after Eden. It's the separation, the disconnection from God. And all our history has been the journey back to connectedness, to what I call oneness consciousness. Because everything is one. God is one, the world is one, you and I are one. And we have been separated from that notion of oneness. That's what I call the 3D world. We're moving closer and closer to the restoration of oneness consciousness. We're moving closer and closer to a world where people love and respect and care for each other. Not a world of me, 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 but a world of us. Not a world of not me, not me, I'm not responsible, but a world of us. And that will be what I call, and what this poet and songster called, Eden on Earth once again. Mm -hmm. It will be the, the reconnection with uh, with God as it was in the time of Eden. So that's what I'm talking about. Well, and I love that because, you know, the funny thing about oneness, the word oneness, I'm just going to say this because I, I, I love words. Oneness talks about one. So oneness should be all about me. It should be everything. I'm number one. You know, I'm, I'm the one that matters. You, know, you think of the word one, but it's actually the flip side. Oneness means all of the ones are connected. It's no longer the ego driven. I'm going to make more money than you. I'm going to take away from things from you. But now it's going to be how do we build together so we both win? How can we create abundance for both of us? So it's always funny to me. Oneness has the word one in it because I think a lot of people think oneness means just taking care of number one. I'm number one. I'm most important. But oneness really isn't about that. It's about laying down the ego and not having to always be right, not always having to win, but to go, okay, how do we have this work for everybody? Well, you know, the motto of the United States at its uh, creation was e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Rabbi, I'm just going to stop you for a minute because our sponsor is in such perfect alignment with the topic we're talking about today as we talk about radical loving and the power of stories and how they can ignite the hearts of men and women and tie generations together. You know, this holiday season, Rabbi, I want to give my gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special, that makes them feel unique, just like the relationship we share and just like our relationship. 
relationship, Rabbi. And that's why I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. And I want you guys to go to storyworth.com slash powered up and check it out while I talk about it because StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's thoughtful, it's meaningful, and it connects you to what matters most. And every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or your friend a thought-provoking question that you choose. And they're really cool questions like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? And after one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. And these keepsake books are so amazing, you guys. I did one for my mother, and she has passed away now, I guess, 10 years ago. And her grandchildren, her great nieces and nephews, everybody can look at Grandma Gloria's book and hear these great stories about her. And I learned things about my own grandma, about my grandma Rose and my grandma Emily. And it really helped me connect to the women who walked before me, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. It's super cool. And I know that my kids and my grandchildren can connect all the way up through that ancestral line because of these stories. And that's really cool. And you guys are going to want to do this too. So with StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. So I want you guys to go to storyworth.com slash powered up and save $10 on your purchase. That's storyworth.com slash powered up to save $10 on your first purchase. So please, you guys, check it out. You know, we're talking with the rabbi today about oneness, about one God, one world, one people, radical loving. And radical loving comes through these stories that we tell ourselves and we tell each other. Most countries in this world are fairly unilateral. That is, the people uh, are from the same geography and have the same culture and most often have the same religion and the same language and the sameness of, of, of a country, France, Italy, Greece. America was a great experiment. Mm-hmm. Could we take people from all different kinds of cultures and backgrounds, different languages, different religions, different ethnicities, different races, and could we have this melting pot that we became out of many one? And for a long time, it worked. Uh, when I was growing up on the old south side of Chicago, <laughs> um, it was what I called the front porch community. That meant we all sat on our front porches and talked to each other at night. When the White Sox were in a four-game series with the Yankees <laughs> over a weekend, we all had our little transistor radios before your time, transistor radios. And we were all sitting out there. And when something good happened, we all cheered. And when something bad happened, we all groaned. And we had block parties. And we had 4th of July celebrations where everybody got out the grill and, and put hamburgers and hot dogs in the grill. And uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mother. But every once in a while, she would obviously go to a meeting, to a PTA or the synagogue meeting or out with the girls or whatever. But it didn't matter because I couldn't get away with anything. As soon as she got home, the telephone would be ringing before she even had her coat off. One of the neighbor ladies would say, be saying, Roberta, do you know what Wayne did when you were away? <laughs> and then it exploded. And being a great baseball fan and being in the middle of the playoffs right now, this pains me to say so. But 
I attribute a great deal of this breakdown in our front porch community to free agency in baseball. Because it used to be that everybody played for the good of the team. That's right. We all knew everybody. Yep. Um, we, we, I, I, to this day, I can recite the uniform numbers of the 1959 White Sox who won mm -hmm. the American League pennant. Uh, one of the guys who played on the team, his grandma lived in our neighborhood. So every once in a while, he'd come out when he came to visit grandma. He'd throw us a couple of balls on the playground. Or once in a while, he'd come and, 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 and uh, hit us grounders. And they didn't make that much money. So during the year, uh, the offseason, they would work at the local car dealer or the insurance company. And they'd come to all the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and Cub Scouts and synagogue and church dinners and shake hands and give autographs. Now you want a player's autograph, you, you have to pay 50 bucks. Then it was just here, come to the, the church to supper. And then, then if somebody on the team were traded away, the whole city would go into mourning. Right. And um, I remember the, the night the White Sox won the pennant, Mayor Daly, the first Mayor Daly, remember mm -hmm. him, vote early, vote often. Um, he uh, told the fire commissioner to set off the air raid signal. And this is the middle of the Cold War. My grandmother, she should rest in peace, didn't know from baseball. She thought the Russians were coming. Oh. But the whole city knew what was going on. So free agency came along, and now it became no longer loyalty to the team, yep. no longer loyalty to the city, uh, just my own statistics so I can sell myself to the highest bidder the next time my, my contract comes up. Now, look, America was built on the back of labor unions. I like labor unions, and I think they have a tremendous place in America. But when they break us up instead of bringing us together, then we have a problem. And that problem then manifests because what do our kids see? They don't see teamwork. They don't see a team in the city. They say, me, 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 my statistics, my salary, or not me. I'm not responsible. Right. Even my bloody shoe prints are all over the murder scene. I didn't kill my wife from one of the great sports heroes of that time. And so we, we, I'm not the victim. I'm not the perpetrator. I'm the victim. Poor me, poor me. So me, 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 and not me. And that's what's happened. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book. There are many, but that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, calling us to return from the patchwork quilt of special interests that we've become to the, the if not a, a melting pot, at least respect and and um, esteem for whatever the differences between us might seem to be. I taught for 17 years at the University of San Diego, which is a private Catholic diocesan university. One of my closest, dearest friends is a Jesuit priest. Father O'Leary does not want me to be uh, Catholic, and I don't want him to be Jewish, although I attended mass and he came to our Yom Kippur services. We see oneness does not mean sameness. There's great beauty. There's great beauty in our differences. And yet there's far more that unites us as children of God than divides us. So God basically says to us, you're all my children. I love you all. I created you all. I know you intimately. And I really don't care what you call me. 
because in some families the the male figure is called pops and some daddy and some some uh, father and mommy mama mommy uh, mother it's all the same it's all right. the same one and god says to us i don't play favorites i love you all equally and i hope that you will love me and most of all i hope you will learn to love each other because you're all my children right. and therefore there's um, far more that unites us than divides us. And whatever you call me, it's fine. And however you approach me, it's fine. Because there is beauty in the different ways that Jews and Christians and Muslims and American tribal and Eastern religions approach God. But God likes that because there's beauty in those differences, just as I found not theological agreement, but great beauty in going to Mass. Absolutely. And Father O'Leary saw that in coming to Yom Kippur services. So that's that's where we are, and that's one of the issues that uh, we write about in Radical Love. Right. Well, and you look at look at just the languages, you know, like, you know, I think it's beautiful if somebody can or I think it's beautiful if somebody can in nomine patres, if it's spiritual sanctum, you know, we can do both of these. And guess what? I'm talking to you in English, Rabbi. I just did a little Hebrew, did a little Latin. Isn't that beautiful? Like these are the things that should be celebrated, not going, you know what, we only can do Hebrew, we can only teach Latin, we can only speak English. Like that's the beauty of our world. So first of all, great job in the Hebrew and the Latin from a little girl from Buffalo. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Second of all, they always say that the, the accents, the English accents from Chicago and Buffalo are very much the same. So uh, you, have, you have chicken wings and we have hot dogs and uh, deep dish pizza, so it's, it's all good. Um, the, I had so much fun listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I had to stop you for a second because I actually wrote down, if you take nothing away from this show, like everything else doesn't resonate with you. What the rabbi said, that was so beautiful. I had to stop and write it down. Oneness does not mean sameness. Right. That is so profound. I mean, if, 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 if our listeners and even me, you know, can take away really drilling that home, oneness does not mean sameness. Now the world becomes this beautiful tapestry of flavors, of music, of, of beliefs, of all these things to enjoy. Here's the big mistake that we made as human beings. And we can correct it now if we understand exactly what you were just saying. There was the pagan world and the Jewish world came along and said, we've just received this scripture, these teachings from God, which are better than the teachings out of the pagan world. Christianity came along and said, we got the New Testament, which has to be better than the Old Testament. And we even call it replacement theology. And Islam came along and said, we got the Quran. Mm -hmm. And it's better than both Christian scripture and Jewish scripture. And it's so much better. Ignore those others. Ours is the only right one. And then, of course, there were the uh, Native American tribes and Buddhism and Hinduism and everywhere else who all had scripture and who said, in essence, mine's better than yours. Uh, the theme song of the world is my God's better than your God. 
And my <laughs> God's teachings are better than your teachings. That's a terrible mistake because God gives continuing revelation. So one does not replace the previous, one adds on to the previous because there is evolving human consciousness. There is nothing in the Torah, for example, or the New Testament about rocket ships. But now we need instruction and guidance about rocket ships. And so people are getting downloads or guidance or revelation, call it whatever you like, about rocket ships. So the big mistake was mine's better than yours and therefore my religion, my God, my interpretation of God, my uh, uh, practices, my beliefs are better than yours. No, 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 no. Wisdom is universal. Wisdom belongs to the whole world, not to any one religious or faith group, not to any one tribal group, not to one, one nation or one country. And so teachers come in every place. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Abraham and Moses were great teachers. Jesus was a great teacher. Muhammad was a great teacher. In our generation, Mother Teresa was a great teacher. Dr. King was a great teacher. They are all wise people who are messengers of God, who receive God's word and will and give it over to the world by the way we're all messengers of god the ancient prophets were not fortune tellers or soothsayers they were simply messengers of god each one of us is a messenger of god because god gives you visions or 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 words or dreams daydreams or night dreams and you become a messenger of god god gives you new new uh, revelation and you act on it sometimes it's only for you sometimes it's only for your family and sometimes there are great teachers who give it out to the world but god's revelation is for all of us god's teachers come in all forms revelation is continual it's not frozen in any one place and if we would understand that if we would understand that mine's not better than yours yours isn't better than mine then we would understand that we can all learn from all all of it. And what a better world it would be. Well, right. And you know, Rabbi, while you were talking, I was thinking you could put, you know, this belief system and liken it to a cell phone. You know, you look at iPhones and, and you got the iPhone one and the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 12 and I have had a four, like, and an eight and a 10 in my lifetime. And there are some people in my family who have Samsungs and they've had the Samsung this or the Blackberry that they're all the same, roughly the same technology. They just improve as we improve as a population. So I don't think it's much different. If people can master the concept of a cell phone, that one is not inherently better than the other, it may do different things and it may appeal to different people but it's evolving as people evolve that's what you were saying about like you know the 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 torah the new testament the quran the talmud all these things you know they're improving as, as we improve um to work with us better doesn't mean anyone's inherently better or worse than the other 
And if you want to take it out of religious uh, uh, terms, just look at the Constitution of the United States. There's the Constitution, and then there's amendments because times change, needs yep. change. So we have an amendment process where we can take the basic core text and add on to it, change it, move it, because a new world needs new things. Right. Right. And new ways to relate. And so if we are moving towards this oneness, this is where I like to kind of get down to brass tacks. And, you know, because I'm raising, you know, future leaders in this world, that's how I look at my sons. They're, you know, future leaders in whatever they choose to be, whether they lead a family, lead a company, lead a country. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is they're going to use that great brain God gave them and learn how to think. And one of the things with oneness, and again, there's all these like kind of contradictory things about the word one and then oneness. But the other contradiction I have in my head that seems to work is if I teach you to think, Rabbi, if what my job is to get you to really think about things and make the decision of what's good for you, what's good for the greater good, how do we create a, a win all the way around? How do we elevate the whole group, not just one? That would seem to cause chaos. However, when my kids get together with their little egghead peers, and I'll admit they're all eggheads and I love them for it, and they discuss these things, and there's an open forum for whether it's what to do with prom because prom was canceled, or how do we handle, you know, this new fundraiser that we're doing that seems to exclude rather than unite. All of a sudden, you've got these ideas circulating, got these little brains thinking, and these little hearts, because that's the other thing. Oneness has to include the heart. We have to have feelings. And I look at the evolution of computers, Rabbi, as part of this going, you know, in your generation or my generation as a scholar, a young scholar, I'm talking college age, he who mastered the most material one, right? Right. Now we have Google. Anybody can look up anything under the sun. So it's no longer the acquisition of knowledge as we've got into the what I call the Google age. We can look it all up. So now it's a matter of awareness. And how do we take that data that we can access easily and manipulate it into information? How do we make it valid, usable? You know, we test the reliability of it. And the conversations we have are much different. When you listen to kids today, they know all the things that we knew because they can look it up on their phone. So now we talk about how do you engage the brain, but with technology, technology removes the heart. So where does the heart come into play in oneness? What a wonderful, what a wonderful comment and what a wonderful question. We are each created in the image of God. Now that's not a physical image, but a spiritual image. And so if I look into the mirror, I see my physical face, but I also see the face of God. And if I look at you, Sandra, I see not only your physical face, but I see the face of God. And hopefully you see the face of God in my face. This is what is called namaste. The divine in me acknowledges the divine, divine in, you. in you. And so if you see the face of God in every other human being, seeing the face of God, there's only one possible response. 
You can't respond with fear. You can't respond with hate. You can't respond with anger. The only one response to seeing the face of God in another human being is love. Mm-hmm. Love, love, love. God loves us. God is love. God loves us and says to us, I hope you love each other. And so, in practical terms, no matter how heated the discussion becomes between you, your, your sons, and their friends, agreement or disagreement, if they see in each other the face of God, they're in, they're in their hearts. And so, if you walk into the bank and the teller is taking forever and you're in a long line, and you get terribly frustrated. Instead of seeing that teller um, as an incompetent, you can see the face of God in that other human being. If you go into a convenience store and there's a teenage clerk who can't make change for a dollar bill without a calculator, instead of saying, oh, what's with education these days? You could say the, the face of God. It's another human being. And therefore, everything we do has to reflect and be seeing the face of God in every other human being. Okay. I'm going to challenge you though. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Cause you know, you got that alphabet soup after your name, you know, the PhD and the, uh, your, your rabbi designation. So you clearly know more about this than I do. And I'm asking this in actually all honesty, how do you see the face of God in someone who repeatedly hurts you, someone who repeatedly terrorizes you. I know there's people out there that have either family members or ex-spouses that have no other purpose than to make your life miserable. And I'm with you there, Rabbi. I can find goodness and compassion and patience and, you know, all those fruits of the spirit, you know, for people who haven't hurt me, but the very person who stands in my face and has hit me, hurt me as an adult, where do I, where do I go to find that rabbi? How do I get that into my heart? Because I've been struggling with that for 16 years. Well, there's a chapter in the book about it. There's a chapter in Radical Loving about this very question. And it is true that there are sometimes places in this world that are so dark that light will never come. And there are some people who are so injurious to us that reconciliation and healing will never come. And so it is very fair if those people are dragging us away, even against our will, if they're dragging us away from our reflection of divinity, we can say, this person has no place in my life. And as painful as it is, I cut that person out as if he or she doesn't exist. That's very painful. And it seems to contradict everything that we've been saying here. Mm -hmm. But it really doesn't. It doesn't because you can't continue to react with hate or fear or anger. If I send hatred out to the world, if I send fear out to the world, it will spiral and come back to me. Mm-hmm. If I send love out to the world, it will spiral and come back to me. 
So there are some things that we can release and say, you or this situation or this country or this movement is no longer helpful in my life. As a matter of fact, it's harmful. And I release you with love. I release you with love. Go on your way. Be happy. But because we have to continue to send the spiral of love out to the world. Mm -hmm. You were maybe too young to remember this, but in back in 1987, we, we had this thing called the harmonic convergence. Uh, people of spirit around the world decided that we would one day stand around the world and hold hands and we would sing songs for peace and love. And of course, the whole world laughed at us. But you know what? Within two years, the Soviet Union fell. Mm. The satellite countries fell. The Berlin Wall came down. Blacks and whites started um, riding the bus together in South Africa. Protestant and Catholics started um, stopped shooting at each other in Northern Ireland. And every once in a while, Israelis and Arabs sat down at a peace table. Now, did a bunch of young uh, idealistic kids make this happen? Probably not. But we did send the love vibration out to the world. We sent the energy of love out to the world. Uh, the Bible tells us, the prophet Isaiah tells us, that the seraphim, the gigantic angel, stand on either side of the heavenly throne. And truth be told, they can get fairly boring at the heavenly throne. So the question is, what do they do all day? What do they do? <laughs> so the answer is, they shout across the heavens, back and forth to each other, Kadosh, 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 Sanctus, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy. And that holiness, that cry of holiness, sends the love vibration to earth and enters our hearts. And we spiral that love vibration back to God, back to the heavenly throne. And so when that happens, we can't be in fear. We can't be in anger. We can't be in, in hatred. We have to be in love because that's what spirals back to us. And so sad as it is, we have to sometimes say, I release you. I release you. I release a country, a whole country. It's too dark. Nothing's going to ever happen. There. And, um, and move on to a, to a easier, better place in our own lives so that we don't get dragged down into hatred and anger. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. That was wonderfully said. And, you know, and I can action on that. Um, and I just want to take a moment. The book that we're talking about today is, is Radical Loving, One God, One World, uh, One People. And it is an International Book Award winner. So you're going to want to get a copy of this. Um, where can we get copies of this, Rabbi? It's, uh, if you wander into bookstores these days, most people don't. Um, it's there and it's on Amazon, it's on barnesandnoble.com, it's on bookshop.com, bookstore.com, um, and anywhere, anywhere that you buy any other book, this is, this is the book. And yes, it did with all, with all humility, humility, I don't mean to boast, but it won three international book awards. It was a finalist in the category of social change. It was the first place winner in general religion. And it was the first place winner in inspirational spirituality. Yay! <laughs> I'm, very, 
I'm very proud of that. Not so much for pride for myself, but pride that the message that this book gives is being recognized out it's there. It's being recognized, right? And that's why it's so important, you guys. You know, if you think about these things as deeply as I do and you get yourself tied into knots, you know, this is a really good book. I will be honest, I haven't finished the whole thing, um, but I did start reading read it. On and read on, McDuff, read on. Read on, McDuff, you bet, you bet. All right, so you ready for the hot seat again? I know that got another good question for you. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, yeah. so... I think it's either Proverbs or Psalms. I can't remember, but it's one of my go-to phrases and it confuses me because I don't truly understand it and how it relates to like oneness and loving people. And again, these are these contradictions above all else, guard your heart. So we are taught to love all. And when I was younger, Rabbi, I had no boundaries. I let people walk all over me. I tried to please everyone. I tried to be as loving as everyone as I knew how to be. And, you know, it all blew up. And then I started studying and started learning about above else guard your heart. And that's where I, again, I, I don't know kind of where one ends and one begins. If we're guarding our heart, how do we be loving and send love to all people if I'm guarding my heart? So I would love to have some insight onto that. I would just answer in one simple sentence. Love, 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 and don't be a doormat. Don't <sighs> let people walk on you. Don't let people take advantage of you because there are people out there who have not yet reached your level of oneness consciousness, who have not yet reached your level of love, who don't see the face of God in your face. There are those people. That's why the world's such a mess still. And so, so love as best you can, and at the same time, guard your heart from being abused or stomped on. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny, you make it sound so simple. I mean, I've been twisting around in this probably for years going, you know, where does one and when the other begin? So I'd like you to help me define what is love? When you talk about sending love, when you talk about being loving, what does that look like? You know, because I can sit here all the time, Rabbi, and send you loving vibes, you know, from a hookah pipe and a pile of pot and be like, I'm loving everybody. And divine, right? I mean, people do define oh, that. Yeah. So let's talk so, about so, love. Okay. What is radical that? Loving, radical loving is the recognition of the reality of one God who loves us all. Okay. Radical loving is the constant recognition of the reflection of the face of God in every other human being. Okay. Radical loving is making the life of another as precious to us as our own. Okay. Well, let me tell you a story, okay? Yeah. Um, when my kids were little, and uh, the story is about a kid who's pushing your age now, so they were... They were they were little. Um, we tried to translate into a, a, a contemporary experience the teachings of an ancient sage. It's said of this sage that when he went to the market, if he needed a piece of meat, he would buy two pieces, one for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. A bunch of vegetables, 
two bunches of vegetables. So when the kids were little, every time we went to the grocery store, we would buy one extra item of non-perishable food. A can of tuna fish, a, a box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, a, a jar of peanut butter. Didn't even take it into the house. We had um, grocery sacks in the trunk of the car. And we filled two or three of them. We'd take them to the local food pantry. So one day I'm in the store with my kid who was uh, my youngest one, who was about five at the time. And I took a box of cereal off the shelf and I said to him, honey, how about this is our food gift this week? And in his young precociousness, he said, no. <laughs> and grabbed the cereal out of my hand and put it back on the shelf and stood on that rolly cart on my heart um, and grabbed another box of cereal. And he held it up to me and he said, this will be our food gift for this week. And I said to him, honey, what's the difference? He said, look, dad, there are hungry kids out there too. And kids like sugar frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. Oh, that's awesome. In a second, in a second, that child taught me to see not a category of people, the hungry, the homeless, the poor, the needy. He taught me to see a face of a child. Yes. Whom we might be helping to eat. So it's the same thing. Anytime, back in 1996, our house burned down in a Southern California wildfire. We lost our entire house and everything we owned. And so people, you know, people would come and they would say, oh, I'm so sorry. Anything you need, just call me, just call me, right? And one of the sweetest, kindest, gentlest and wealthiest men came to, my, came to me and said, Rabbi, what's mine is yours. Ask me for anything. So what am I going to do? Uh, buy me dinner, buy me a suit, build me a house. What am I going to ask for? When we say that to people, nobody, nobody ever acts on it. Call right, because you don't know what to ask for. Exactly. So my theory is F-A-N-A-M-I. Find the need and meet it. If God forbid there's a tragedy, somebody dies. You say to the mourner, I understand your Uncle Charlie's coming in for the funeral uh, give me his plane information. I'll go down to the airport to pick him up. Is your good suit still at the cleaners? Give me the ticket. I'll go pick it up for you. Don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them for movies and a pizza. Find a need and meet it. So, you know, when we're, when we're, um, when we give away things, like we give away clothes to Goodwill or the church or the local shelter, Everybody gives away a pair of pants, a shirt, a blouse, a skirt that no longer fits or is out of fashion. But, you know, if a man needs a pair of pants, he probably needs a pair of socks. Yep. And no one ever thinks to give away a pair of socks. Oh, they're old. They're dirty. Yuck. Okay. There are some clean socks. You can wash them. And if you can't bring yourself to give away your old socks, on your way to the shelter, stop it at Target or Marshall's or 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 Ross's or TJ, TJ Maxx Denver, yep. and, and buy a couple pair of socks and put it in the bag that you're giving away. When you go to a hotel, yep. they don't expect you to steal the towels or the pillows, but they're happy for you to take those little bottles of shampoo yep. and conditioner and lotions or whatever else they give. Well, we don't use them because after all, we have our very expensive diviner, designer shampoos, right? But take them with you, collect a whole bunch, and bring those to the shelter 
making the life of another as precious to you as your own, because that shampoo, which you don't need or want, that's going to be two or three head washes for somebody who doesn't have any shampoo. Right. It could be precious to someone else. Right. So think, think of, think of needs that we'd never meet. Who gives away toothbrushes? Who gives away a box of Tampax? You got to think of these things. Right. And if, if you, um, if you're in a organization that gives away Thanksgiving baskets, right? You, you go and you help, you make a Thanksgiving basket, turkey and yams and cranberries and stuffing. Well, how about a bottle of sparkling apple cider right. or a, a, a bag of colorful jelly beans or a gaily decorated cake? Because if somebody's hungry, doesn't need just the basics. Because if it's Thanksgiving, he wants to give thanks and celebrate too. She wants to be happy. And, and so, you know, for an extra couple bucks, you add those things in and you're making the life of another as precious to you as your own. Well, so, and I'm going to jump in here, Rabbi, because I want to add one more thing as we get close to the end of the show. One of the things that I've done, I've, I have worked for Toys for Tots for 35 years. And uh-huh. one of the things that I found, and I'm just going to give parenting, you know, a little parent tip here. When your kid gets bunches of toys for Christmas or birthday or whatever celebration, ask him which ones he really likes and which ones we can give to other kids because kids get way too much today. And the other thing, Rabbi, I've always done this in my house. I have a ranch up here in Southern California. I bring hundreds of people every year to my home, not during COVID, but and they come and we raise 1,500, 2,000 toys. And my instructions to parents are always this. It's really simple. Take your child shopping, put a budget, $3, $5, $10, $20. Nobody's asking you to break the bank, but have your child pick out a toy for someone they will never meet. It is the most profound experience. I've done it with my own kids. I learned it, you know, when I had kids from other parents who worked within the Toys for Tots organization, when your child, like the cereal box, when your child picks something out for another child, it changes them. It opens their heart in a way nothing else will. Brilliant, Sandra, brilliant. And therefore, the last part of radical loving is to be in constant compassion. Yeah. Compassion, the Latin means come to be with passion, the suffering, as in the passion of Christ. So it's to walk with, with in com- compassion means to walk with another who may be suffering, who may be in need. So constant compassion, constant kindness, generosity of spirit the work of your hands the 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 uh, money in your pocket all of those kinds of things are radical loving and radical loving has a twin which is awesome holiness and awesome holiness is meeting the needs of the entire community to take all these things that we do for individuals and with individuals and understand that we have a responsibility to the entire community. You know, in America, we have these bumper stickers that say, do a random act of kindness. Yep. Yeah, nice, a random act of kindness. Pay for the Starbucks uh, for the guy behind you. But in, in religion, in Judaism and Christianity, took it from, from, from a Judaism, we have obligated yes. acts of kindness. Because every human re- being is responsible one for another. So the Bible says to us, if you plant a field, plant the seeds, water them, weed them, care for them, 
when it comes time to harvest them, the four corners of the field, you leave alone. They don't belong to you. They belong to the poor and the needing and the hungry in your midst. They don't have to come and ask. They can't come and say, oh, did you have a good year? Or um, is your heart full today? Or do you need a tax deduction for your, for your contribution? They belong to them. And so we have, as human beings, a responsibility to the whole community to make sure that every human being is treated like a human being with decency and dignity and kindness, individuals and the whole community with us. Oh, I love that, Rabbi. I can't wait to have another show with you. The book of the hour is Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People with Rabbi Wayne Dosick. Did I get that right? You did. Thank you. Yep. And he's a PhD and a rabbi. And you know, I love me some alphabet soup. He's also the author of Living Judaism. You want, you, you want to play alphabet soup? I also have two honorary doctor of divinities. So I'm PhD, DDDD. And you know, my late mother, my late mother, she should rest in peace. I have all these degrees at the end of my name. Doctor this, doctor this, doctor this. And she said, what good are they? They can't cure my headache. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, you guys. So check out this book, Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. You'll be so glad you did. And it's this great book for parents when you're trying to explain the way of the world. And especially if you guys are like me and you are mixed religions within your family, within your peer group, which is happening all over, get this book. It's so good. You'll be glad you did. I can't wait to have you back, Rabbi and do another show with you. This has been so fun. Radical loving, one God, one world, one people. You'll be glad you did. And also check out Living Judaism because I'm going to get a copy of that myself. We'll be back again next week. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be. 